Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. It's good to see you. You don't look a day older. It's just a new year. Uh, kids, it's all in. First Sunday of the month. Uh, if you'd like to, I want to invite you to head to the tables in the back. I'm sure Brian has all kinds of fun stuff for you back there. I'd probably be more fun to listen to, but, you know. Let's say a word of prayer together. God, thank you for your very presence here with us. God, as we look at an ancient story from 2,000 years ago, I pray that this morning you would give us new eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand how this ancient story is speaking into our individual stories and our communal story, our global story, and what you are giving birth to today. In the name of Jesus, everyone said? All right, we're in uh, Matthew 2 today. Today is Epiphany, Feast of Epiphany, Epiphany Sunday. It's the day we remember these magi that traveled from the east to uh, go see the Christ child. And that is uh, what we're celebrating today. So yesterday was the 12th day of Christmas. So yeah, we're going to take the Christmas trees down today. Uh, And today marks Epiphany. So in Matthew 2, verse 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem. So, number of characters here. There's a king, King Herod. There's these magi from the east. And there's the Christ child who is born to Mary and Joseph. Uh, if I can have the next slide. This is a kind of a typical image we see around Christmas time. Uh, might be on a Christmas card or something like that. And probably not terribly accurate. Um, there, there are some things we don't know. The, uh, Matthew's the only gospel that tells this story of the Magi. Uh, Luke tells the story of the shepherds and the angels and all of that, and Matthew tells the story of the Magi, and Luke is, uh, talks about Jesus being born as a baby. Matthew talks about the Magi traveling to see a child. Uh, we, what we don't know is how old Jesus was. Even though we kind of loop it into the Christmas story, Uh, Most scholars believe Jesus was probably 12 to 18, maybe even 24 months old. Um, He was young, a young child. We we don't know how many magi there were. Uh, We call them wise men or kings. They were probably not kings. They were probably astrologers, those who studied the stars uh, and discerned the times. And uh, we don't know that there was three. We've kind of historically made it three because there were three gifts, the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. But we don't know if there was two. We don't know if there were 12. We don't know if there was a whole caravan that traveled with them, which is very likely, or if it was just the Magi who traveled. We don't know uh, if they were men or women or both men and women. Uh, Some translations say wise men, but the the original text is translated Magi. It's astrologers that traveled from the east. We don't know how far they traveled. Many believe it was the area of Persia, modern-day Iran. Uh, If I can have the next slide. Uh, This map shows kind of an estimation or a best guess of the journey the Magi took. Most believe they would have gone up 
and over and around the Arabian Desert rather than traveling through the Arabian Desert. We don't know that they were on camels. The text never says that. Uh, maybe they were on camels. If they were on camels, which would have probably been the fastest mode of travel, they could average about 25 miles a day. Now, if you really pushed a camel, you could get a camel to go just over 100 miles in one day, but not multiple days in a row. You'd, you'd kill it. And so uh, maybe 25 miles a day. So what we're talking about is a very long journey. And we're talking about these magi who made a decision based on internal intuition, deep discernment, and deep longing to see something new. That this Christ child who had been born, uh, th these are not Jews. These are people from the East, Gentile magi, who have discerned that God has been born among us. Uh, this is breaking religion wide open. It's recognizing uh, something old is passing and something new is, is giving birth in religion. And these wise men from the East discern that and come to see it. Uh, how many of you, uh, so this journey on that map, th that journey is probably about a thousand miles. A and they took, it would have taken them a month and a half to get there, a month and a half to get back, maybe more. Uh, and so these magi took at least three months out of their lives to go on this journey. Uh, it was a long journey. And, and part of the beauty of the faith journey is this metaphor of journey. Uh, and it can be long and hard at times, this faith journey. It, it can be filled with pain and anguish, and, and there are seasons of great joy and delight. And this morning, I simply want to invite you in this new year, wherever you find yourself on the faith journey, to simply embrace it and recognize that God is present with you on the journey. Whether you're in a season of fun and delight and celebration, or whether you're in a season of grief and pain, uh, embrace the present moment of the journey. And maybe in this new year, a practice for you could simply to be wake up every morning and say, God, what, what are you inviting me into today in this journey? How are you inviting me to be present today in what you have before me in the journey? This was a long, long journey. How many of you remember being a child and going on a long journey with your parents, a long car ride, and you're just, how long until this is over? How long? Uh, how many of you, those of you who have children, how many of you remember going on a long journey with your children and wondering, when will this be over? Uh, and, and I mean, today, we, they got all this stuff that we didn't have as kids, all these devices and screens and whatnot. It's still a long journey. My noise reduction headphones, I can't put them on when I'm driving. I just... Grin and bear it. Long journey. Uh, it can be a long journey. And yet God is present each step of the way on the journey. So these magi, they go on a long journey to Jerusalem.
and they go to King Herod, who, by the way, uh, well, I'm going to read this next verse. They say to King Herod, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So born king. Um, I've read Matthew 2, I, I don't know how many times, a lot. I still don't get it. These guys were supposed to be wise, right? Why did they go to King Herod? Like, you don't go to a usurper king. You don't go to a king who's been placed as king of the Jews by Rome and say, where's the one born king? Because you're not it. Uh, you, but they did. It makes for a good story, I guess. So Matthew's writing a good story. And, and as this good story goes, they go to the usurper king and say, where's the one born king? Where's the rightful king? Because you're clearly not the rightful. Uh, as we'll see, this does not sit well with Herod. Uh, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Some translations say uh, he was afraid. Any time someone is in a position of power and they feel like their position is threatened, they're going to react with fear. Herod reacts with fear. He is feeling that his position of power is being threatened by this one that the Magi have discerned has been born king of the Jews. And he knows he is not. He knows he is despised by his own people because he bows at the foot of Caesar. And these Magi have come to bow in front of a child. Magi from the east. When... He called together, Herod called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. This, this was the great hope. That this Messiah would come and truly shepherd them, truly care for them, truly love them, truly lead them in the paths of righteousness, truly lead them in a way of hope because they've been living in oppression under Herod, under Rome. And so when Herod hears that one has been born who's going to actually care for the people rather than oppress them and exploit them, he wants to do anything he can. To get rid of that king child. Uh, I'm struck by the Magi's uh, trust, by the Magi's uh, level of seeing. Uh, the text tells us we saw his star and we've come to worship him. Like the, the level of vision and seeing and discernment they must have had to be willing to take three months of their lives on a long, hard journey to come and see this Christ child. Uh, Teilhard de Chardin, this is kind of a long quote, but it's so brilliant, I want to share it with you. Teilhard de Chardin is both a scientist and a mystic, and he says this, seeing. One could say that the whole of life lies in seeing, if not ultimately, at least essentially. 
To be more is to be more united. And this sums up and is the very conclusion of the work to follow. But unity grows only if it is supported by an increase of consciousness, of vision. That is probably why the history of the living world can be reduced to the elaboration of ever more perfect eyes at the heart of the cosmos, where it is always possible to discern more. Uh, if we ever come to a point where we think we have it figured out, where, where we know, I simply want to invite us to recognize it's always possible to discern more. There's always more. The universe is always expanding. Consciousness is always expanding. God is always revealing more. There is always more. And we're simply invited into the more. We're invited to listen and see that there's always more. He continues, to try to see more and to see better is not, therefore, just a fantasy, curiosity, or a luxury. See or perish. This is the situation imposed on every element of the universe by the mysterious gift of existence. Uh, Deschardins saw long ago that there is always more. When this Christ child was born, it brought more. Uh, it, it exploded something new into our world. And we're invited into it. And we're invited to give birth to the more and to see more. Th these people in Jesus' time were, were living in great hardship and poverty and oppression, and they were living for this promise from Isaiah. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And this light came in and through Jesus. He would later say, I am the light of the world. And then, don't miss this, he would say, you are the light of the world. That the Christ child is born in and through us to bring light into the darkness. We are invited to keep giving birth to light and life and hope and the more, the ever-expansive kingdom of God right here in our midst. Uh, we, we sing this song at Christmas time. Next slide. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Uh, in this new year, I, I wonder in what way we will bring all of our hopes and all of our fears to the Christ and offer them with open hands say, take these hopes, take these fears, and allow me to give birth to something new this year that is good and hope-filled and loving and caring and compassionate 
something that will bring new life in me and in those around me. Uh, T.S. Eliot wrote a poem called The Journey of the Magi. And uh, his level of insight is just so profound to me in the things he says in all of his poetry. But in this poem, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I just want to invite you into uh, this poem as he, in his own imagination, expresses uh, what the Magi may have been feeling says, a cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of the year for a journey, and such a long journey. The ways deep and the wet weather sharp, the very dead of winter, and the camels galled, sore-footed, refractory, lying down in the melting snow. There were times we regretted the summer palaces on slopes, the terraces, and the silken girls bringing sherbet then the camel men cursing and grumbling and running away and wanting their liquor and women and the night fires going out and the lack of shelters and the city hostile and the towns unfriendly and the villages dirty and charging high prices. A hard time we had of it. At the end, we preferred to travel all night, sleeping in snatches with the voices singing in our ears saying, this was all folly. All this was a long time ago, I remember, and I would do it again, but set down, this set down, this. Were we led all that way for birth or death? There was a birth, certainly. We had evidence and no doubt. I had seen birth and death, but had thought they were different. This birth was hard in bitter agony for us, like death, our death. We return to our places, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation, with an alien people clutching on their gods. I should be glad of another death. Uh, there's so much here, but part of what I think T.S. Eliot is trying to help us see is that often birth and death are two sides of the same coin that in order to give birth to something new, there is a necessary death that must happen. And this Christ child would grow up and show us how to live and show us how to die. This Christ child would show us the best possible way to live and how to take suffering and death. And the invitation is to walk in both Jesus' death and resurrection life. There is no resurrection life without the cross. There is no Easter without Good Friday. And we are invited to embrace these many deaths, is what I would call them, in our lives. Dying to are grasping, are controlling in order to experience the new life and invitation that God has before us. There is birth and there is death. And out of death comes rebirth and beauty and goodness. We had these readings on Christmas Eve from 
author Frederick Beekner, and he, uh, what we had were perspective from the shepherd, the innkeeper, and the wise men. And I just want to read the last two paragraphs of the perspective from the wise men. He says, I tell you two terrible things. What we saw in the face of the newborn child was his death. A fool could have seen it as well. It sat on his head like a crown or a bat. This death he would die. And we saw, as sure as the earth beneath our feet, that to stay with him would be to share that death. And that is why we left, giving only our gifts, withholding the rest. And now, brothers and sisters, I will ask you a terrible question, and God knows I ask it of myself. Is the truth beyond all truths, beyond the stars, just this? That to live without him is the real death? That to die with him is the only life? Jesus invites us into a way of life that is so beautiful and abundant and yet at the same time comes at a cost. The journey for the Magi was not all roses. It wasn't this, oh, this is so fun, traveling a thousand miles to follow this star. No, they, they sensed something deep in their souls from God. They discerned the times. They discerned something from God, and they were willing to pay a cost to get there. Not just the cost of giving gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but the cost of their time, their lives. It costs something to find the Christ child. And it costs something of us to discern the presence of the Christ child in our midst. thought I have here. If this year is to be a new year, then we have to somehow let go of the old year. The mistakes we've made and even the things we've held on to too tightly, namely our egos. There can never be a birth of the new unless there is a death of the old. And so I wonder for us today, uh, as we look at this new year, in front of us? Are we willing to ask God, what is it that I'm holding on to? What, or as Eliot says, uh, our alien gods, uh, what is it I'm grasping on to? What is it I'm holding on to that I've been unwilling to release? God, what are you inviting me to release so that I can give birth to something new and beautiful and glorious. Uh, it, it strikes me sometimes how um, in a number of Christian circles we, we can uh, be so fascinated and excited by technological advancements and the, the evolution of scientific discovery. Uh, but if there's a new idea in religion, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, If the creator God of the universe set the world in motion in such a way that it's always changing, always evolving, and if he created us in his image so that we could have technological developments and and all these advancements, should not, to our faith, be always changing and evolving? 
Should not to our faith always be opening and expanding to the ever more that God is inviting us to see? Seeing. The invitation is to see more, to discern more, to experience more of what God has to offer us. we, we come every week to this table and we take a piece of bread and we dip it in the cup and, and we remember the death Jesus died so that we could see more. Uh, we, we remember God coming among us in the flesh, being a baby, growing up, showing us how to live, showing us how to die, showing us how to experience rebirth. Uh, this morning as you come and take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup, I want to invite you to ask God, what is the more? Uh, What are you inviting me to let go of so that I can give birth to something new that you're inviting me into? God, thank you. Thank you that you are always inviting us to expand our vision to see more. God, we want to experience you more and more. I I pray, God, that you would pray that you would fill us with a true knowledge of your presence within us and all around us. and Give us a vision for that which you are inviting us into. Pray this in the name of Jesus.